0: Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing, so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't yet joined our wonderful Flywheel Nation community, Go to flywheelnation.com and join in the podcast conversations. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast.
1: The leader has to have a vision of something and the something means what is that person's view of what the future might look like or what the future that they desire to satisfy. So any leader has to fill that role because the people in the organization are going to be looking to that leader to be providing some direction.
0: Welcome back. I hope you've had an absolutely awesome week so far. If you haven't heard my recent conversations with Jess Jewell, founder of Red Direction, and with Kate Donovan, who's a burnout recovery specialist and host of Fried the Burnout podcast, then do go listen in. Check them out. They're well worth it. But wait until you've listened to today's conversation first. I'm really excited today to have on the InnovaBuzz podcast as my guest, Steve Brody, an expert in helping people to prepare to exit their business. He wrote a book called What Happens After the Sale and has helped hundreds of business owners think through their exit plan. Steve has over 30 years of marketing, general management and consulting experience within large corporations and within privately held firms. His experience has been in the consumer packaged goods and services industries including beverages, pasta, frozen and refrigerated prepared foods, electronic information services and distribution services. Steve is active in consulting at the executive management level. He currently operates advisory boards for CEOs of firms from diverse industries. In addition, Steve has consulted with clients in the areas of strategic business plans, marketing plans, market research, business plans for equity investors and executive coaching. In our conversation today, Steve talked to me about a leader's role in building and sustaining the culture of an organisation. He explained the steps to identify the three to four most important core values of an organisation And he talked about why leaders don't need to have all the answers and what they need to do and be instead. Without further ado, then let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from Steve Brody. Hi, I'm your host, Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm really excited to welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast today from Houston in Texas, USA, Steve Brody, who's the CEO coach for mid-market firms. He's the author of What Happens After the Sale, which is a case study of a client who built and then sold his business to a public firm. So welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, Steve. It's a real privilege to have you as my guest.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to... uh be with your with your audience
0: ellen melko moore who was our guest on episode 487 of the innova buzz podcast suggested that we have a conversation with you and introduced us, steve so big hello to ellen
1: oh good great I, I didn't i didn't remember maybe or maybe i didn't know that she was on a on the prior one with you
0: yeah now you bring um, a marketing background and and been working at the intersection of leadership and strategic planning and and exit planning for private firms for quite some time. So bringing all that experience together um, to write the book and also to act as that co- CEO coach for mid-market firms. And I'm really looking forward to digging into all of that. Now, before we start unpacking that, what's the impact you're making in the world today, Steve?
1: Well, I really believe it's about helping leaders you know leaders of privately held companies and in this segment in the u.s i guess the phrase i would, I would uh, describe is that that i i help influence those people who then influence many others meaning their their employees and the segment that i concentrate in is the is the private the uh, market private ownership private marketplace in the u.s which which we call the the middle market maybe that's a similar term uh, of what you use uh which many non-business people don't realize that that actually is the largest employment segment in the u.s economy you know all the attention seems to go to some of the large public firms Hmm. but uh, this privately owned business and middle market segment actually employs the greatest number of people so that segment i, I I'm kind of proud of that it's uh, it helps influence the greatest number of people um, uh, in in the US
0: economy yeah yeah that's it's um, something that's often overlooked isn't it that those smaller privately owned companies provide so much um, employment and contribute so much to the overall economy. And I think that's true in Australia and in, in Europe even, um, as well.
1: Yeah, it really, it really is. And you know, it's so much easier for the media to, because the access to information for the public market, the public companies in the market, that those firms that are in the, uh, the the different aspects of media with products or services that, that that's what the media audience tends to be able to generate the the most uh, rapidly but this other segment is one that is just doesn't have the kind of awareness level and and understandable understand because it's it's harder for the media and other places to to really access that that information
0: hmm. All right. Now, one of the things, uh, well, your core service offering is coaching for CEOs in those privately owned firms. So what, what are some of the challenges that CEOs in those positions face that, um, perhaps they need help with from somebody like you, from a coach?
1: Well, it really starts with the, the leadership side. I mean, the the three areas that, that you had recapped in the beginning, where where I tend to focus, being the the development of leadership behavior and characteristics for those people, and then moving into the strategic planning, their future, and then and then ultimately the exit planning. But if we start with the first area where they need help, is is really to have an outside view, I would say, of how do they appear, how do they appear to their constituency, meaning, and the most important one of that becomes their employees, but then it expands into a whole different layer i mean of, of moves to customers the customers it may move to shareholders if there are if there are a variety of some shareholders. Um, and to then other audiences that they interact with. So, you know, there's a expression that I'm sure you've heard and people who play golf, you know, the, uh, the, the description is appropriate that, and then that is that it, you can't see, you can't see your, your backswing when you're a golfer, but, uh, someone can take a video of you. Someone could, could give observations and, and that's the role that a coach can play is is to help identify for that person meaning the leader the leader or the founder how they are coming across and what is the impact the impact they have on the organization so in a in a very meaningful way what it says is there's kind of a a self-limiting audience jargon which means someone has to someone meaning this the client has to want to be in this type of relationship meaning they have to want to be able to look at themselves and maybe how they can improve themselves that's not an easy thing for some people to (laughs) to do you know some like being in this little cocoon
0: if you will yes and they the cult, uh, the ego gets in the way of um, our cultural training of sort of protecting that ego gets in the way, doesn't it? Oh yeah, yes, absolutely.
1: E- ego can play a very big part and that uh, expands to, you know, the much broader audience than just a business owner or someone, the audience that I deal with, of someone who's in a private firm because it goes to the whole... The whole interaction of uh, public figures, you know, political figures, uh, re- religious—mean I people, people that have uh, interaction with with any number of uh, constituencies—that the egos can then sometimes really be very mis- misleading. Mm.
0: One of one of the things that I'm always fascinated by and interested in is is looking at the culture inside of organizations and and the values that they then project outside of that organization so what's the role of the leader in in kind of creating a culture and and then sustaining a, a really positive culture that contributes to the growth of the company and also contributes to the success of their employees and their their clients
1: well the the role of the the leader that you ask about I mean, the role of that leader is actually uh, in, enormous because i mean you know, the segment that i'm dealing with is a company that's privately held and, uh, and it's owned by them and uh, or there may be more than one person, but it, most often, most often, the audience that I'm dealing with is someone who's the the CEO or the founder, and they don't necessarily have other people that share ownership. They don't they don't always have a partner, you know, a, another mm-hmm. business partner. And at, at times they they do, but when you say, what is the the role and that, you know, a way of thinking about it, it really, it really, it starts with that leader and it, it starts at the top. If we're looking at a pyramid and, and some people that look at a traditional pyramid, but the point up and, and the base down, it starts at that top. And then, and then it rolls down the organization. It rolls down and then and, and is absorbed and interacted with, with the other people and so as goes that leader as goes that leader really there goes the the organization and and the creation of that culture so it really becomes very very hard to differentiate let me say the personal the personal side and you used the word earlier about ego but the personal side and the professional side of that individual and those two things can be somewhat different meaning how do they how do they appear and how do they interact when they view themselves doing something that's more personal or personal involvement and when they view themselves in the role of a of their professional activity so it's it's almost a, a scale. If we were to look at a scale and put personal attributes on one side of that scale and on the other side, the professional, you know, th- those two have to, they have to somehow balance. I mean, if, if we want the scale to be in balance, then there's equal elements of each of those. And not always do we have that. Sometimes that personal side becomes the overriding factor, and that's not always a good thing. <laughs> it can, I mean, it makes it a challenging thing. Yeah. Depending on what the nature of that of that personal side is, you know, and, and versus the the professional side. And the other aspect then of the professional side is, is so where did this person come from? You know, where they formally trained somewhere. Were they in some other organization? Did they come out of the military or some other larger entity? How did their whole exposure and background to leadership emerge, emerge and develop maybe before they created and founded their own organization? So these things really overlap in in major ways, major, major ways.
0: Mm yeah so the the influences that have shaped their leadership style and their and their character to some extent sort of comes in as as part of that history right
1: yes absolutely
0: so one of the things that I always wonder because I've experienced this in companies I've worked for where the culture changed over time and it changes in such a subtle way but over a long period of time it ends up being completely different and in in my case in one example at complete odds with my values so i was no longer happy there Um, how does an organization um, a leader of an organization sustain the culture and at the same time adapt that culture in a way that you know, that that's very intentional about the shift that they're trying to generate without having like what happened to me where I don't think that shift was intentional. I think it just sort of there was these little things that um, little changes along the way and all of a sudden the culture was completely different and I don't think it was really one that was serving the business's clients in those times. So how how does a leader kind of keep control of that or build a team around him that or her that um, helps keep that sort of in balance?
1: Yes, well, you're asking a very, really a, a rather complex oh. question because it, it deals with those layers, let me say, about what those, you, you talk about values. And what the values were, and maybe an entity that you were with, and, and if those values at some point changed, you know, the question becomes how how did it change or why? You know, did it change because a new leader was put in, or somebody died or passed away, and a crisis occurred? But it, it, it the, the first area that comes back to those values is a highly highly important one to see are people comfortable and are they inspired and motivated. So I mean leadership in, in many ways is about motivation and inspiration of those that that follow. And the interesting and challenging thing about leadership is anyone who's put in a position of that responsibility, let's say it's the founder or it's the person at the top, that person can create the values that they want and the values that, that are important to them, but then they have to go about choosing the right people, choosing the right people that are going to, to fit with those values. And so someone in a position of authority can establish what those values, be it he or she, depending on what kind of organization uh the values that that person wants uh can be by autocracy the person can establish that but now here comes the challenge and that is i can't in the position of of being the autocrat i i cannot dictate that people will want to follow me mm. they ha- they have to want to do that which means they have to be motivated and inspired by that leader so that's where you get into the real difficulty of is a culture changing and so depending on what the business is if it's a product driven business or if it's a service driven business and you know what's the nature of change what's the nature of innovation of things and i i know you had some aspects of, of looking at talking about and 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 not everybody is good at all elements. Meaning, do you surround yourself with the right kind of people? Meaning, when I say yourself, if you are the leader, do you do you surround yourself with people that can complement you? So, if it's about developing products, developing new products, or expanding to a different geography or to different industries. Um, you know, these things are not necessarily a, a rule. You, you can't go pick up a book somewhere and, and, and say, now, what do I do next? You know, when you pick up a book and you read about certain success or major success or failures, typically what you're reading about is something in the mirror. You're, you're looking at something that already happened. Meaning yeah. it's, hist- it's history. So we can evaluate it. We can evaluate to a degree this new product or this new trend in the marketplace. You know, where is it going and what is the future of that? But when you're in the middle of it and looking at what those trends are, there's uh, no one formula that someone can say with a degree of certainty. Here is where this industry is going next. You know, if I'm looking forward into the crystal ball. That is a, uh, a significant challenge and, and an unknown certainty, as opposed to if I look backward, maybe I can generate a bunch of answers and I can find out some things. But that's only in hindsight, right? I mean, you yeah, that's say, right. And lots of people say that uh, that hindsight is, uh, is 20-20. It's easier to find that afterwards. But one of the biggest roles of any leader is about helping identify that future, which really is the the the, the challenge that's created. So where do we want, where do I or that leader, want to take the organization next? What are the next trends that are coming? So that depends on the industry you're in, depends on how much data there is, slow changes, rapid changes, these things become very, very different uh, from, they're not always the same from one industry to another.
0: Mm. Yeah. And, and being really strategic about setting that direction is, is something you're real strong on. I know. Um, in terms of, in terms of surrounding yourself with the right people which you talked about quite a bit there uh one of the i mean one of the common bits of advice people give is hire for cultural fit or for attitude and, and train for the skills i think that's a, some good advice one of the dangers though is that we become so myopic as leaders that we hire people that are like us. So we're yeah. not filling the gaps. We're not correcting that backswing to use your golf metaphor. Um, what's, what's the best way to avoid that, to, to balance that. Okay. I'll obviously want people in my organization that are a cultural fit, but how can I bring people in that fill the gaps in skill and fill the gaps in perspective that I might have?
1: yeah know it's a good question you raise which which says what, what i would respond and say that you don't really want to you know you said that people might often hire someone that's just like them because that generates a comfort level right mm-hmm. a certain degree of comfort and what i would say in response to that is that's really something that you don't want to do as the leader meaning you want to hire people that are different than you. Now, those that do share similar values, so you have to identify what some of those values are that, that you find that are the most important values. Um, and we come back to that in just a second. But But you want to hire people that have come from different experiences and maybe different Backgrounds and cultures, even different disciplines, because any leader—and if I'm talking about the CEO here—in in the uh, the clients that I have or the organizations that I deal with, you know, someone is normally at a level of expertise in a certain area, or let's say they have a comfort level with a certain, uh, let me call it a functional area, and so that might be sales or it might be operations, or it might be marketing, and uh, it might be administration or finance, finance, and and, and those differ. I mean, all of those functions are needed within an organization. Typically, the founder will have a, a, a real strength and comfort in one of those areas based on their background. Be it finance or sales or marketing and so forth. And it's, it, it's the rare individual, the rare individual that's going to have an expertise in all of those areas. It just, it just doesn't happen that way. You know, it's really based on their background, where they came from, how they were raised. And, and so if you have a, a high degree of comfort in a certain functional area of expertise, of, um, you know, let's say it's sales. Well, you wanna have some people surrounding you that that have a different set of expertise, be it production and operations and efficiency and productivity. They may not be comfortable with sales at all. And and you're trying to build the team where those things are going to then blend with each other. And So often, you know, so often I get into descriptions of people and and it fits with some sports analogies of, of whether it's a football team or a team that has an offense and, and a defense where, where those, those parts of that team, those members of that team, be it the offensive side or the defensive side have really different sets of skills. And so you're not looking for someone who's good at all of those pieces Mm -hmm. because truthfully, it's it's not going to be easy for you to find anybody. You know, right. the, the kind of so you're you're looking for. Think of it almost like a puzzle. How can I place these pieces together, and yet they all would have a certain set of values, and that comes down to somehow creating a short list. You know, not six or ten or twelve uh, statements of values because that's really too many, meaning that just confuses people. But mm. if, if you have three or four, let's say three, four, or five maximum, even five is a substantial number, but three or four to where people share some of the same set of values, then, then you have a better chance of saying, maybe I'm, I'm picking the right set of people who can get along with each other. And that is not easy to put together. Now now we're dealing, you know, we're, we're almost saying that to lead an organization, you need to have some kind of background in psychology,
0: yeah. <laughs>
1: you know. <laughs> we, we really need to understand how do so human beings um, I- interact with each other and what are their driving mechanisms? What is that motivating mechanism? Hmm. Maybe everyone needs to be a clinical psychologist, which <laughs> most business people are are not, but you you can see where that can make a, a real difference.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's um, clearly understanding human behavior is a a skill that uh, could add a lot of value to a, a leadership. So um you talked about values and I was curious that you said keep it really simple, get to the three really core values so that everybody can remember them, everybody can identify, and also having having less core values that are non-negotiable obviously makes it easier to find people that are aligned with those because I imagine if you've got 20 core values, all of which are non-negotiable, it's it could um, um, act as a really strict filter and you find it difficult to find people how do we identify those absolute core values and and that are so important that everything else can be kind of parked if you like in terms of aligning all employees with those values i mean we, we as leaders might still hold them dear and the organization may still value that but it's it's not necessarily a filter for bringing new people in
1: no, and it, it well. It, it, so I, I'll go back to that comment of the organizations that I've been in, and, and I've experienced and seen it in in others, and those people that were at the top, the leaders, to see that you made a statement about it, that you were somewhere and at a point maybe there was a disconnect and you didn't think that it was the right place to be, or those values had changed. So it starts with you know the. Who is setting those initial values now in this segment, let me go back to the segment that I'm talking about, hmm. which are these firms that are in the middle market. So that means normally these companies have not been around for many generations. It's not the second, third generation, fourth generation of a company. It's typically the the first generation or the second generation, meaning it's the initial founder or maybe then at a later point, it might be a a son or daughter of the founder, it gets to a a second generation. So it starts with what are those values that you as an individual find that are the most important and are the most comfortable for you. Uh, And then translating that on, if a company does succeed and goes to the next level, when I say succeed, maybe get to an, another generation of to those same values translate it's very difficult to translate from one generation to the next because someone was initially the creator of it you know the company didn't exist or they they created a new product a new service and had to develop an expansion of some products and then the next generation is starting with those products were already there and and where do you, so it starts with what are the values that are most important to you? And we, as when I alluded to earlier, there's not a playbook that anyone can go to and say, well, here are the top ones that you, that, that you have to have. Well, we can only say that in the broader sense that you know, that any leader has to have a, a vision. And the vision is where do I want to go with this business, with this product line, with these services, they have to have some idea of where they would like to take it. And so, you know, we get into a whole thought process of, so, you know, there's a phrase, a jargon that I've said, you know, is someone mostly strategic? or are they opportunistic you know Hmm. you get at strategy two different ways one is you can set and establish the strategy and say here's where i want to go so i mean i came out of the coca-cola company It was the first place that i started And, and that world for many many years and a long time when i was there in the early 70s up until the 80s the uh the carbonated soft drink business was the core, was the core and driver of that company. Now that was not the division that I was in. I was in a division that was owned by Coke, but was not in the carbonated soft drink business. It was in, in the juice division, fr- fruit juices, fruit juices and drinks was a, a division that was owned by Coca-Cola. But, for many many years the 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 emphasis in in the corporation overall was surrounding carbonated drinks. well so you ask yourself the question is that product or category going to be there forever or what becomes the evolution what becomes the evolution of that and what is the belief system and and where do you go with new things that are going to be added to it and so I, I remember the days when there were some major conversations that went on about corporate strategy. And, and it relates back to just the opinions. That there's no rule book, as I said earlier. And what I'm meaning by that is the Coca-Cola company said, we will never sell a product that has alcohol contained in it. It was against their belief system that the products were a refreshing product to be consumed by the whole family. Whether it was carbonated or not carbonated, but alcoholic beverages didn't fit that, that definition. Now that doesn't make it right or wrong, but it, but it, it, it sets it into a certain definition.
0: Hmm.
1: So where it is then that when you're talking about the values or those trends, where, where, where do they go next? And you have to articulate that. Yeah. So, but when I said vision, then, What becomes important is the role of any leader is to say, here's where I want to go with this entity. Here's where now sometimes saying, here's where I want to go means I'm going to react to the trends and I'm going to evaluate the trends. And the more you go down that side of the path, you move towards what I'm calling the opportunistic model which says I'm gonna look at the opportunities that I believe are available and that excite me and I'll take advantage of those opportunities that I find that are most valuable versus the strategic side which says I only wanna go in this direction and this is the, the one I the direction that I want to take. And you don't know until many years in the future is that the right direction. And so mm. <laughs> what some people have said and when a lot of the readings about leaders and say well how do you know if someone is a really effective leader and and one of the one of the descriptions that i've seen from the, some of the different books on leadership is is you really only know many many years after that particular oh. leader is is gone meaning let's say retired or moved on or left it, it it's very hard to Determine during the lifespan is, is it the right, is it the right direction? Often, you know, years later, because now you're, you're watching what has occurred.
0: That's and, right. You've got, and you holy. do have that, you do have the benefit of hindsight then. So, so this concept of strategic versus opportunistic, I guess coming back to the conversation earlier about, bringing people in with various complementary skills um there's you could also look at this strategic versus opportunistic in certainly people in leadership roles within an organization and say well let's let's bring people in that have those different styles and then then we can combine in all those discussions that we have we can combine the viewpoints of people that think more strategically and those that think more opportunistically.
1: And some are some are better at, I would say, one versus the other. Meaning Mm. whether they're more comfortable operating on a plan and let's call that the strategic part of Here's the plan, here's the direction, here's the road I'm going to take. Do I stay in carbonated beverages only and I never consider else? Or do I, how do I look at what my business is? And uh, in, in some of that language, I'll give you some interesting ones that, that uh, within the corporation, I mean, within the Coca-Cola company, which yeah. you was know, in 200 countries around the world, and, and they back many, many years to the 1800s. Um, but the, uh, the concept of what the, the product is, and, and how it's to be used kind of helps define where someone might decide to to take a, a a company and so what they might say is am i looking at an industry and and dividing then what would be called a share of market where i can define quantitatively here are the beverages here's the competition i can look at all this and develop some mathematics on the market share or the opportunities, or do you look at, and in one sense, what Coke did for a long time was, was really focused on not, not just a share of market, meaning what category my products are in. The, if you go up one level, what I'll describe as going up one level, go, go up above the level of what industry am I in or what segment. Mm-hmm. The, the way that could be looked at with, with, within Coke, where not much of the discussion was about, it was not a share of market or which category, but they actually talked about share of belly, share of belly, which meant
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> that you know they, they they did work on some data that a lot of historians said you know human beings as of a certain age you know only only consume on average the following. Number of ounces you know per day of uh of of a fluid, whatever the fluid is, whether it's a nutritional fluid or a refreshment fluid or water or flavored or whatever but only a certain number of ounces and uh, each day and 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 the view of that was well we could look at this as share of belly and say, well, if that is an ongoing consumption amount that's kind of repeatable we could then study how then, the, how does it change over time and which part of that do I want to be in? Because because what is, you know, the broader question becomes what is substitutable for one another? So mm-hmm. if I'm not drinking a carbonated soft drink, I could drink juices or a fruit drink or I could drink coffee or tea Or I can drink some other beverage. I mean, this all becomes, if you think about it as a share of belly and say that an individual is only going to consume a certain number of ounces. So depending on where you live in the world and how hot it is or how cold, you can see where then all of these things start to, to, you know, you can slice and dice which type of beverage, if you're in the beverage business. But that kind of thinking says there's only a certain amount that is really available from an individual. And then we just do the math. Doing the math says, okay, how many people can we possibly reach? Where do they live? And, you know, that could define the overall capacity of how big this market could ever be. Right. Because if you believe in that concept, You would say, well, there's not an infinite number of ounces that someone, depending on what environment they're in and what the temperature is and the need for thirst and and all of those things, you, you could almost do a model. You could do a mathematical model to say, here's the limit. Here's the upper limit for Australia or for the U.S. or for Africa or for somewhere else. But, you know, but that's kind of the quantitative side. But then we have to overlap the, the qualitative side or now the psychological side, which as you asked about earlier, you know, because now how do I divorce the image of the person? Meaning, you know, you asked about, you mentioned ego earlier on in hmm. the conversation. So how, how does the ego overlap? And does does the ego become a positive or a negative from certain types of products versus other types of products and and where do we go with that kind of psychology if if I could be seen consuming a certain type of product, would I be viewed as a person of you know a better person or higher value yeah. or you know all of that I mean that's where this mm. this psychology versus the the uh, you know the product uh, becomes the, the complexity of that uh, is what makes it such an interesting business because I'm dealing mm. with human behavior and the yeah. overlapping products and consumption
0: uh, today. Yeah, that's right. So, so certainly important to consider human behavior in in that mix. And what what you're suggesting is kind of chunking up from um, to use that. Coca-Cola example from the carbonated beverage to, okay, what about all drinks and what are, what other fluids are people consuming and does that open up opportunities for us to get into parallel markets using our skill set that we've developed in basically producing liquid beverages.
1: Yeah, yeah. and. And the the vision for, so what I was alluding back to when you asked the, the question about values, I said, well, you know, every, I don't care what type of business you have, product or service or what industry you're in. We know one thing about leadership and that is a leader has to have a vision of something and the something means what is that person's view of what the future might look like? or what the future that they desire to satisfy. So any leader has to fill that role, has to fill that role because the people in the organization are going to be looking to that leader to be providing some, let's use the word, some direction. Hmm. So you can't have someone or, well, I shouldn't use the word can't, I should say be difficult. If you have someone that has no vision about where they want to take something uh, and just let it be neutral and and see where anything just might go, depending on the way the direction of the wind blows, that may be rather difficult than to come back to, is it really a motivating or inspirational type of environment? And Mm. so that, that makes it difficult as to, because what you're trying to do with leadership is get a group of people to follow you. Yeah. So you're trying to ha- have them make a decision to follow you, you based on their their desire, their that individual's desire to go where you want to go as the leader. So you have to have a group of people who would agree that they're motivated to go in that direction because that isn't something that you can easily dictate if you are the person in charge you can dictate it for yourself of where you think you want to go but then you have to have people who are willing to to follow that
0: Hmm. painting painting a picture of the vision for the team is is really important
1: Yes, and getting those right kind of people. So what you alluded to earlier, whatever that organization was, that you said you were unhappy at a certain point in time. And, you know, if you were an employee in that organization, then then you had a choice to make, right? At that point in time, that, that choice that you had to make is, is this a place that I want to stay? Is it, is it a place that I want to, think, can I, can it still be something that is satisfying to me as an individual to help me grow as an individual? Is it a place where, is it? Is it a place where you should stay? Um, and so that becomes a, a choice that you have to make. And so one of the ongoing statements that you'll hear people talking about is to say, if you're a CEO, you know, what is one of the greatest fears or anxiety of a CEO? And and you'll hear, maybe you've seen this in, in other places written, but the, the the greatest fear that a CEO has is being found out.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> and and what do we mean by that? When you say mm-hmm. being found out? Well, it's that person knows that everyone else around him or her is looking, is expecting you, if you're that CEO, that you're supposed to know where things go. Well, suppose Mm -hmm. that you don't know. Suppose Mm -hmm. you have certain doubts. And being found out would say, do do you want the people that are in your organization to to know that and and be aware of it, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and the flip side of that coin is, How could
0: they? How can they not be aware of it? Yeah, yeah. So it's probably a good thing to kind of share that. And and I know some of the good leaders I've observed are certainly really good in sharing that in a way that doesn't undermine confidence in their leadership abilities or their abilities to do their job, but at the same time also invites others in the team to get involved and to support the the leader in what they're doing so that there is that element of inspiration and motivation that comes with with that if it's done well
1: well yeah because that individual i mean they they're looking at themselves they're looking at the and their role their role in life and and, and let's face it, and without, with many people, maybe with most people, whatever organization they're in, and maybe it's not a company, maybe it's a charitable organization, or maybe it's a different type of entity. But whatever, whatever that organization is, they, you know, they there becomes kind of a philosophical and and a, and a spiritual thinking. And and that person is at some point in their life can happen at different stages of their life is really reflecting and kind of dealing with the question. So if they ask themselves this question, and the question is, so so why am I here? Why why am I here? Why am I am I doing what I'm doing? And how do I feel good about my role or? It comes back to so what is my purpose, right? What is my purpose in life? What is my purpose in what I'm doing? And people need to feel good about that. I would submit to you that that's that's what motivation and inspiration is all is all about. It, it isn't somebody else dictating to them. Here is what you ought to do, because because how well does that
0: Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So get really clear on the why. Why am I here? Great questions. Steve, I think it's a good point now to transition into the buzz, our lightning round of the same five questions I ask of each of our guests. And the idea is you'll share us a really um, inspiring answer and inspire the listener to go and take some action as a result today. What's the number one thing anyone needs to do to be more innovative? Well, I'd
1: say that they have to have a natural—they have to have a natural level of curiosity. They have to want to probe why things work the way they do, why they work or don't work. Is one major factor, and then the second factor, along with that, is I would say that they—they that they need to be what I would call as is a lifelong, a lifelong learner. And so, the more that they have those two characteristics, I think. The, the, the whole innovation that 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 helps drive it helps drive uh, uh
0: innovation mm, that's right, and then connecting the dots when you do learn something through curiosity uh one of i mean one of my favorite things to do is kind of suspend judgment on anything and say oh i'm curious why is that or what what's yeah. going on there or what what causes that and then that that kind of questioning. Tends to lead on to. Oh, I've just learned something new, and then connecting the dots. Yeah. So, what's yeah. the best thing you've done to develop new ideas?
1: Well, it's you know, it's just so many places to find things, and I, what I've learned. And that it started with when I was at the Coca-Cola Company, but and then that was phase one. But then moved on to phase two, which was in privately held companies. And but the biggest thing that I came to realize, and was fortunate to be exposed to it in in an organization like Coke, which was just a wonderful place to be, is that I, I learned through those years, that the secret, the secret and from the you know, the world's best marketer, the secret of how things happen, is that there's, there's not anything that's a grand plan, a grand plan, but things happen on an empirical basis. And what that means is you have to observe, you have to become a good observer. And so what I've been able to experience over the years is through situations, scenarios, environments, being able to read all the different factors that are happening. So not only just reading literature about those, but now we add the more recent uh, Technologies. We can watch videos about what has happened with different situations, and um, so there's a lot of wonderful blogs and newsletters. That there's just so much that's available that people can. I mean, it's actually kind of overwhelming.
0: It is overwhelming at times, isn't it? But yeah, uh, but I think that
1: one. Just let me add one other that I'm sure you've never heard about. There's an organization, and now it's worldwide. Uh, it started in the U.S., but, it's called, it's the abbreviation. It's called TED, T-E-D, which mm. is an acronym of, of, uh, I think technology, uh, technology education, education and, uh, and development. It's not political oriented, but it, it's about learning science and business. And so these are TED speakers and there's TED videos and, and it's, it's now expanded to where there's, Several thousand that have been recorded and mm. people present a certain point of view, a life experience, business, or that they learn from and their insights. So there is just some wonderful uh, examples of uh, that I've seen in, in so many different places of uh, some TED insights of someone talking about what they realized or what they were exposed to. And so. I think a lot of learning comes from exposure and Mm. curiosity that I mentioned earlier. It's about just having a a wide cross section of of always scanning these things and being recommended and referred to these things. It's just, there's just so much out there that can be a, a stimulation to people. And I have found that to be, to be very helpful.
0: Mm. Yeah, I love love the TED Talks there, there's some uh, fabulous information there and as you say, people sharing experiences that they've had and learnings along their life journey and um, often it's something that you'd never encounter otherwise.
1: Right, yeah, mm. really.
0: All right, what's the best way to keep a client on track? Well, it's, it's looking at
1: milestones, measures, milestones and one of the habits that i use of of, of some different procedures when i go beyond the leadership side which is all the behavioral and personality side i have some things that i've used there with people and some personality profiles but the next area is one about measuring where you want to go and how do you organize that and do it and so there's there's an area and you've probably heard of it it's called it's called the the rockefeller habits Mm some 10 20 years ago uh, by an author named Vern Hornish, and uh, he came out with his second book called scaling up which is kind of rockefeller habits 2.0 but what that is it, it's a it's a discipline of um, looking at laying out the objective you know a three-year basis down to a two-year to a one-year to this year this quarter this month so how do you keep people on track you 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 kind of use a system like that that can be then communicated across your team and your people to say let's look at where we are here's where we said we want to go now where are we so you can look at these things and look at these milestones and judge yourself Um, are we making progress on that is it working or not working or is it time to adapt is it time to adapt and, and change it to to go a different direction. So I find that's a very helpful, a very helpful mechanism um, yeah. in, that, in that communication process.
0: Yeah, and the, the great thing about that kind of approach is also the breaking it down into smaller steps so it doesn't become overwhelming. You know, we talked about overwhelm before in terms of the information that we have. Um, so I think being really clear about the the steps along the way and what's the next action we can take is a big one okay what's the number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves
1: well um you you, you have to decide on areas where you're going to place some focus and what that means is you, you really cannot be i, I don't think it's throwing successful for someone to try to be all things to all people Hmm. so what that means is you have to choose a segment a segment or let's call it a a a niche you have to choose a niche and then you and then you focus on you focus on on that niche so the way you differentiate is by limiting by limiting where you're going to spend your time and and not try to satisfy everybody and it's a difficult challenge whether you're dealing with the team the people are reporting it, you, whether you're dealing with the consumers the a way of thinking about it i'll use this i, I describe this to people when we're having our discussions is is I, I i don't want you as a leader to be gray to be gray i don't want your color to be gray i want yeah. you to i want you to be either black or white if you were choosing a color <laughs> meaning if you're gray no one knows what you stand for yeah. you don't know where you're headed and but it's difficult to say well but if i choose to be black or choose to be white on these set of products or these i mean then i'm possibly giving up the focus or the attention on the others it's like well yes in a way that is what i'm saying that if you try to be all things to all people you really will possibly lose your identity and and you can't differentiate mm-hmm. so you have to make some choices and which approach you're get now fortunately these kind of choices aren't things that are life ending i mean you can change something yeah. later right but you don't want to be it's changing stone, every, right? yeah. <laughs> every, day, every day or every hour you know that That's a good way to uh, to cause confusion.
0: Yeah, that's right. Sitting on the fence, we used to call that leadership. uh, Sitting on the fence leadership. (laughs) All right. Thanks for getting us through the buzz and thanks for the conversation so far. It's been really fabulous. Lots of great insights into leadership and vision and culture. Um, Now, where can people find out more about you, the work you do, and maybe even get in touch and say thanks for what you shared today?
1: Well, there's two, uh, two easy places that I can do. So one is, is on, on, on LinkedIn. I mean, I do have a pretty substantial profile, explorations, uh, uh, on LinkedIn with that as a network. So they can always look, uh, that, look me up on LinkedIn. I think I've given you that address on, on LinkedIn is a good place to be. And then the other one is I do have a website that, uh, is just the activities that I'm involved with and, and, and that one the address also I have provided but it's called net, and there's information there a blog there people can contact there and, and there can be a way of of uh, being in touch or wanting to find out about more or uh, two ways that uh, many of us in the business world can uh, can extend our reach if you will of uh of how people can can find us.
0: Excellent. And we will include both of those links in the show notes so people can click straight through. So do you have some parting advice for our listener today as we wrap it up, Steve?
1: Well, I I, I guess the the final thing that I would say is that the role that that they can play that most people can play is depending on what their occupation is or which segment they're in. Is, is to be, to be a great connector for others. I mean, you know, it isn't for me or a leader to have the answer. You know, a lot of people misinterpret that leaders should have the answers and a a really fascinating uh, line of logic and theory from some people that I've read about is a leader should be a virtu virtuoso question asker. (laughs) as opposed opposed to the leader should have all of the answers because no leader can really have all of the answers but if you are a great question asker which means i really want to understand why are you thinking about it or how are you thinking about it this way or how did you come to that point you really want to find out what is in someone else's mind and because people love talking about themselves, and so if you realize that you're going to ask them things about themselves as as opposed to you telling them you're you you pontificating about yeah well i have all the answers and you should just follow this yeah (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yes i love i love the um um, question yeah master question asker um idea All right. Finally, Steve, who else should I get on the show and why? Well,
1: there's an, so I, I, you know, I had, I was going to suggest Alan, but I didn't realize that actually you had had Alan. So that, that was good. But there's another person that I used and come across in my days when I was connected to Vistage where there were speakers and people that came in. And I found an individual who was very helpful and, uh, his name is Henry, Henry DeVries, D E V R I E S. He owns a, a small and mid sized company in the publishing world. And it's called Indie, like, I-N, like Independent, Indie Books International. And uh, he does a lot of great webinars and concepts about uh, ha- the importance of telling a story. The importance of storytelling in anyone's life, in a business, in an organization. Uh, what is the, the power of stories? And he's, I think you would find, uh, he's got some really interesting concepts about that. Like there's only six types of, I won't go through what they are, but only six types of stories that every movie or every, anything that we've ever seen going all the way back to Shakespeare or all the way into, you know, they, they follow one of these six models of, of what the story is. <laughs> and it be, it becomes a fascinating uh, introspection of how do you fit into that as an organization, a person. So like, what is your story? And, and I want to know that story about you, about the company. And it, it, it makes it come, makes it come alive. I, I think you would, you would find that, uh, to be kind of interesting.
0: Mm, sounds fascinating, well, we'll get an introduction to Henry from you and reach out to him to start that conversation.
1: yeah, good, good. thanks
0: so much for sharing your time and your insights so generously today, Steve, with us on the Anova Buzz podcast. I've really enjoyed the conversation, and it's really shone the light on a lot of um challenges of leadership, but in a way that I think really would help us all look at our leadership and improve some of the things that we're doing. So thanks for that. All the best for the future and let's stay in touch.
1: All right. Very good. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: I hope you enjoyed that insightful and really informative conversation with Steve and took something away from his episode. I love Steve's assessment that leaders need to be great connectors and to know how to ask good questions. I invite you right now to think about some of the questions you can add to your repertoire to become a virtuoso question asker. Ask people things about themselves, about their perspective, about their approach, about what drives them and what they might need. Those are good questions. Then really listen to the answers and ask more clarifying questions. I love the I'm curious, prefix, I'm curious, what makes you think that, for example. That pauses judgment and allows the conversation to continue with drawing out more insights from the people you're speaking to. Imagine asking great questions that draw out answers to the many things you don't know and draws on other people's expertise experiences, and insights? What are some of those questions that will impact your relationships, your business, and your results? Steve's episode can be found at innovabiz.co forward slash Steve Brody. That is S-T-E-V-E-B-R-O-D-Y. All lowercase, all one word, innovabiz.co forward slash Steve Brody. You'll also find contact information for getting in touch with Steve there, as well as links to the Brody and Associates website, to Steve's book, What Happens After the Sale, to his social media pages and the other resources we spoke about in our conversation. Now, if you've listened this far into the show, then here's a challenge for you. If you love this conversation and you think it would be useful to somebody else, be brave enough to share that conversation with that one other person. And I'm also guessing that in the 500 plus other episodes that we have here in this repertoire of overbuzz podcast episodes, there's at least one more that is equally as valuable to you as this episode. So go check out the ones on leadership or just pick your favorite number. And between now and the next episode, listen to one more and then write me a note on LinkedIn telling me. Which episode you picked and why you picked it? And what was your biggest takeaway? What are you going to do as a result of what you're learning from these fabulous guests that we have on the show each and every episode? Steve suggested we have a conversation with author and CEO of Publishing Co. Henry DeVries on a future InnovaBuzz podcast episode. So, Henry, keep an eye on your inbox for an invitation from us to the Innova Buzz podcast, courtesy of Steve Brody. Thanks for listening. We'd love you to leave a review on this episode so that we can get to know you and why you listen. Also, it will help us make the podcast even better for you. Simply go to lovethepodcast.com forward slash InnovaBuzz to pick your preferred platform. And you can follow the show by going to followthepodcast.com forward slash InnovaBuzz. If you'd like a peek behind the curtain into how we put together this show, go to InnovaBuzz.co forward slash flywheel where you can access a free gift my team and I made for you a short audio program that walks you through the entire InnovaBuzz flywheel. We want to give you everything you need to transform your marketing and your podcast into a human-centred, relationship-focused growth engine. Tune in again to the next episodes of the InnovaBuzz podcast, where we've got yet more fantastic guests lined up. Until next time, I'm Jurgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember... Be awesome and keep innovating.